0: Our sermon text is John twenty one fifteen through 25, which you can find on page 590 in the paperback Bible. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this to him, and after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord.
1: This week we are coming to the end of a long journey. We've been preaching through the Gospel of John for over six months now, if you can believe it, and today we are on the last chapter. And if that seems a little confusing to you, because we were in chapter 17 last week, we actually... Did 18 through 20 around Easter. If you want to go back, you can listen to all that. And so we're going to just jump to the, the very last chapter today. And as we close the series uh, appropriately, we're going to close it with the final words of this book. And I think this account has a lot for us. Uh, there's a bunch of, of insight to be gained because we are at a point now uh, where we're looking at a passage that takes place after the bulk of the action. This is after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, here we are looking as the story is winding down at one last interaction between Jesus and two of his closest friends. I think there's a bunch to teach us as we look at this story because it's, it's kind of like John's saying, now that I've taught you all the facts, now that you've heard all the theology, I want to just show you what this will look like day to day. Now that you've had a chance to digest my gospel, I want you to see what this might be like for everyone who believes it. What will it be like for people who follow Christ? And so quickly this morning, there's going to be three things that are common in the life of every Christian that I want us to see here. Three things that are common in the life of every believer. And one is the merciful and gracious call of Christ. That's what we'll see first. And then the second thing is the challenge. Of following Jesus and then finally I want us to see the contentment that is offered by Christ so first the merciful and gracious call of Christ second the challenge of following Jesus and then third the contentment that Jesus offers so let's just dive right in Uh, whenever I preach I, I try to assume that there's gonna be people here that aren't totally on board with this whole Christian thing and I hope that's the case today uh, because that's why we're here, right? We we want to be here to share the gospel, to tell people who've never heard it what it is. Um, but I know that if you are in that place this morning, you might be already tempted to zone out. Because some of this stuff kind of sounds like Christian jargon already, right? Following Christ, the call, uh, being faithful, a life of faith. That That sounds, you know, what does that really mean? That sounds like Christian jargon. And because it is. That's that's kind of what it is. I mean, after all, Jesus is interacting here with people who follow him. These are people who are his, his closest disciples. And so a lot of what he has to say here relates to people who have already been persuaded to follow Jesus. Um, in some ways, this text is definitely directed towards the good Christian. But what I want to point out here. What I want to draw your attention to at the very beginning is something that might be right under the surface here. And that is the question of, what is a good Christian? What makes a good Christian? Before this chapter, when we saw Peter last, do you remember the last time we saw Peter? It's been a while since we actually read this chapter. But do you remember the last time Peter saw Jesus before verse 21? It was when he was denying him, right? Right? It was the story of what happened when Jesus was on trial before he was ultimately crucified and killed. And in that moment, it tells us that Peter was standing aside, watching his best friend, watching his teacher, watching his rabbi go through this unfair and unjust trial. And in that moment, people ask Peter if he knows him, and what does Peter say? No, I don't know him, right? He denies him. He denies any association with him. He says, I don't know this man. Peter is the worst kind of friend, right? Peter is that friend who, who acts loyal to you, who acts like he's really close to you, but at the moment of opposition, at the moment that it's going to cost him anything, he turns his back. Do you know somebody like that? Well, okay, I'm going to tell you something that might shock you right now. I was not the coolest kid in middle school believe it or not I was not I was in a category of people that you might call the losers (laughs) and and there was a rule about being a loser which was that the losers got to hang out together and uh, and we did I hung out with the losers because I was a loser we would be friends with each other we would do nerdy things together that's what we did but I was also like Peter because when there whenever there was a chance (laughs) to climb the social ladder Whenever there was a moment where the cool kids might come by and start making fun of one of my buddies, I can't tell you how fast I was to jump in on that, right? To say, yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, hoping that I could step on his back to climb one rung of the ladder. Well, Peter was much worse than that, right? Peter had gone as far to say to Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. And then that same night... He refuses to even be associated with him in the moment of his greatest need. Instead, the story tells us that he warmed himself by a fire while he watched his friend go off to his death. And so here we pick up in John, and I don't know if you noticed this, but it tells us in the chapter that that here he is standing again by a fire. Here's Peter warming himself once again by a charcoal fire but this time he's standing face-to-face with Jesus. This time he is standing face-to-face with his resurrected Lord and they have just eaten breakfast together and Jesus engages him in a conversation. And here's what he says. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. In this first Interaction between them. Here's what we see in John, that, that Jesus just keeps asking him the same question. He keeps asking him the same thing over and over. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? It tells, it tells us by the third time Jesus gets to that question, Peter is grieved in his heart. And of course he is. Why would anyone believe him? With all that he had done. And he'd done something truly horrible, right? He'd done something awful. Why would anyone believe that he says that he loves Jesus? But all he can tell is the truth. All Peter can do is tell what he knows to be true. He says, you know I love you. You're, you're the Christ. Look at my heart. You can tell. I am telling the truth. I love you. All he can do is, is profess his love for Jesus and grieve about his sin. Jesus asks him, I don't know if you noticed, he asks him one time for each of his denials. And after each time Peter says, I love you, Jesus gives him a calling. Each time Peter says, I love you, Jesus says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, follow in my footsteps, minister to my people, love the people of God. Here's what I think we can learn from that brief little dialogue. When I ask what does it mean to be a a good Christian? Well, we learn that the standard for being a good Christian is obviously not a flawless record. The standard for being a good Christian is a repentant heart. Peter, he got fooled by the world. He believed all the lies. He believed that that going his own way, that that following his own instincts, that protecting himself was going to work out well for him. He believed that disobedience to God was better than obedience to God. And you know what? That's the story of all of our lives, isn't it? Don't we all fall for that same trap? Isn't that the lie that the serpent told in the garden? God doesn't really want what's best for you. He's holding out on you. Obedience to Him is going to make your life miserable. And that's a lie we're always tempted to believe. And so we do what Peter did. We live for our own comfort. We do the things that we think are going to work out best for us. And and it, it, always, it always ends up in the same place. It always ends up in the same place where Peter is here with guilt, with emptiness, with shame. But that's what makes Peter stand out. That's what makes Peter the leader of the church. This great example for us because in this moment, he saw his sin and he hated it. He saw his sin and it grieved his heart. He couldn't stand the thought of it. And you know what he did? He didn't just feel bad about it, but he ran from it. He turned away from it. He turned from his sin and he turned to Jesus and he said, I love you more. That's what it takes to be a good Christian. It means seeing your sin, hating your sin, and turning to Jesus to love Him. There's a song we sometimes sing uh, and one of the lyrics is, all the fitness He requires is to see our need of Him. The only thing Jesus needs is for you to see that you need Him. That you need a Savior. And when you see that, here's what you get. Here's what every Christian gets. This gracious, and merciful call. Like he says to Peter, he says it to us. From now on, you live for me. Follow in my steps. Love my church. Feed and tend my sheep. Now, in some ways, God's plan for Peter is unique to Peter. Right? There, there's there's only one Peter in the history of the church. But at a basic level, his call is the same call for every single one of you. It's that gracious and merciful call that says, it's not about how good you've been, but it's about how good Jesus is. Hate your sin, love your Savior, and follow Him. So that's the first thing we see. But what comes up right after that is the challenge of that call. It's really challenging to follow the call that Jesus gives you to follow Him. Look at what happens here in verse 18. Jesus tells him, feed my sheep. And then he says in the same sentence, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. So if you didn't pick that up, what Jesus says is that stretch out your hands thing. That was just a euphemism for being crucified being dressed as you're putting the cross on your back and walking with it. He's saying, you're going to be crucified. And you know, Peter, he knew how awful that was. He had just seen it a couple days before. I wonder how how I would have responded in that moment if Jesus told me to tend the sheep and then gave me this picture of what it was. I, I was reminded of... Uh, This moment in school, in this really boring class that I just couldn't stand. It was it was really long, and and I was you know not the best student, (laughs) and I was just ready to go. And there was a moment when the teacher said to the class, she looked out. It seemed kind of random, but she said, "Who here wants to go help with the nursery next door?" And I could not have stood up any faster. Right? I stood up. I raised my hand. Oh, I would love to do that. She said, "Great, I'll see you Saturday at eight a.m." Right? all of a sudden this thing that sounded great to me i realized it was not exactly what i what i expected it to be for peter right that that sheep feeding thing that seems all right you know outdoors green grass nice fluffy lambs that you get to play with feeding them tending the flock yeah sign me up jesus you know i love you and oh by the way you are going to die a premature and grisly death And here's what we see. Here's what we see immediately following this. Peter says, it says, Peter turned and he saw the disciple who loved him following them. This is John, the person who wrote the book. He says, the one who had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that will betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, what about this man? So Peter's first reaction to hearing this bad news, is to look behind him and say, well, what about this guy? (laughs) Right, John. John, who was, let's be honest, probably the most like Peter in the group of Jesus' disciples. He was another guy who was very close to Jesus. He was one of the the beloved disciples of Jesus, a close friend of Jesus. And Peter, when he finds out how things are going to end, when Peter finds out he's going to be crucified, he wants to know, well, Does everybody end up like this? You know, well, surely the same thing's gonna happen to John, right? This is an example of uh, what a a pastor friend of mine, he calls it the sideways glance. The, The sideways glance of our Christian calling. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where you find somebody who's in a similar category to you. Maybe they're the same age. Maybe they're in the same profession. Maybe they went to the same high school that you did. Whatever it is, you, you find that person and then you look at their life and you start to compare. You start to say, why not me? Why can't I just have the life that that, that guy has? Why can't I just have the life that, that that girl has? Do you ever do that? Of course you do that. We all do that. I remember uh, when when I first got out of seminary, one of my closest friends he came out of school living in in a different state he bought a house that cost less than the cheapest house that anyone's ever bought in Boston maybe half as much he got a, a great salary and within not too long he had a publishing deal <laughs> meanwhile i was raising money to be an intern <laughs> and then we when we came here to start this church it took me It took us 18 months just to find 20 people who would come for a few weeks. (laughs) Meanwhile, there's a guy not too far from here, just on the North Shore, who shows up to town, starts his services in January, and had 300 by Easter. And I can remember sitting there, looking at these guys, and just despairing from that sideways glance, from that envy, of what looked like an easier path to me. Is there somebody like that for you? Is there some situation somewhere that's like that for you? Where you look sideways and you think, I could I could have had that. Why can't I have that? Well, Jesus, man, he He shuts that down instantly. He says, if it is My will that He remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Peter won't even let, Jesus won't even let Peter talk. He won't even let him start the discussion. He says, don't even ask that question because it doesn't matter. If John is going to live forever, how does that change anything that I've asked you to do? I'm really grateful for this story. I'm really grateful for this interaction because it exposes what I think is one of the greatest weapons that Satan has to take his people off mission. It exposes one of the the greatest weapons that our enemy has to get people's eyes off of Jesus. Envy. That, That sideways glance. That comparison. Proverbs says, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy... Makes the bones rot. Do you ever find yourself wondering what your life would be like if you just didn't know what other people were doing? <laughs> I was—I heard about this story, uh, this this study. Actually, it's it's kind of a famous one, so maybe you've heard of it too. Um, but it's it's really eye-opening. It's uh, the study on capuchin monkeys. Uh and they're these monkeys that live together. Um and, and what the, the researchers did was they took these they took two monkeys, put them next to each other, and asked them to do a simple task. They asked them to hand them a rock. And every time the monkey handed them a rock, they would give them a reward, a little piece of cucumber. And when they and when that was the whole test, here's what the monkeys did. They would do it twenty five times in a row, because they liked cucumbers. They would do it over and over and over and over again. But then they found out if they took these same two monkeys and started the test with the cucumbers but then at one point switched one guy to grapes which they like a lot more cuz they're sweet they'd give the one monkey the grape after he hands in the rock and then the next monkey hands a rock and they give him a cucumber it took that one time before the monkey throws the cucumber he starts banging the rock on the ground he starts shaking the the cage Now, what changed about the cucumber? (laughs) Nothing, right? The cucumber was the exact same. It was just the fact that the other monkey got the grape that all of a sudden made that cucumber unbearable, right? Intolerable. Psalm 73, you know what? Scientists discovered that recently, but here's what Psalm 73 says. It says, As for me, my feet had almost stumbled, My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then verse 21, it says, When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and arrogant. I was like a beast towards you. That sideways glance, it's poison. It steals the joy from our calling and it makes us like beasts. It makes us despise what God has so graciously and freely given us. And it fills our hearts instead with discontent, with anxiety, with fear, with anger. But here's another reason why that sideways glance is so dangerous. It says at the beginning of that verse 20 in our passage, that Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. Here's a fact. The only way you can make that sideways glance is if you take your eyes off Jesus. When, when he asks Jesus about that, Jesus tells Peter, you follow me, not him. You follow me. In many ways, that's just a reiteration of their earlier conversation, right? Do you remember, do you love me more than these? That's what he asked Peter. And that's what he asks each and every one of us. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than the easy life? Do you love me more than your five-year plan for your future? Do you love me enough to be content? With what I've given you to do even if it's hard the challenge to following Jesus is keeping our eyes fixed on him the challenge of following Jesus is keeping our eyes fixed on him and not glancing sideways at what else is going on in the world so what about you are you content are you content with your life today with what God has given you to do? Are you able to look at what He's put before you and thank Him for that? Are you able to look at Jesus and honestly say, yes, Lord, you know I love you more than these? Or are you in that other category? Do you find yourself consumed by that sideways glance? Is envy and comparison sucking the joy from your life? Is it rotting your bones? Are your eyes on Jesus? Or are they on the other guys grapes? Well, I want to talk about the contentment that Christ offers, but i got to say, the answer to that question, if you're like me, the honest answer to that question is, well, it depends on what day it is. So what's going to fix that? What's going to change our hearts? What's going to enable us to follow Christ in a way that we have contentment? In a way that we can be faithful to what He's asked us to do? Well, there's three things. Three things that I think come right out of this text. And the first one is, if you're going to be content with the call of Christ, you have to accept the cost. Jesus told He chose not to tell Peter what was going to happen to John. He just shut down the question. He didn't answer it for him. But John went on to live a long life. John went on to live a really long life, as a matter of fact. So long that verse 23, it says, Jesus said to him, if he's going to live forever, what's it to you? And then he reminds us, so the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? He lived so long that John had to say, he had to dispel the rumors that he was going to live forever. Jesus didn't try to make it easier on Peter. Jesus didn't try to make it sound all right. He, never, he doesn't say, you know, but don't worry, crucifixion's not all that bad. You know? <laughs> no, what he said to Peter is the same thing he says to every one of us. He says, take up your cross and follow me. The cost of following Jesus is always our life. The cost of following Jesus, it's always giving up control of your life and giving it to him. And there's no way to find contentment unless you do that, folks. There's no other way to what you're looking for. You remember that verse? Whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find you. You're going to have to accept the cost. But the other thing you need to do is you need to believe the promise. To Peter's credit, he doesn't argue. He doesn't argue with Jesus' rebuke. In fact, what we know about Peter is that he actually went on to follow Jesus boldly. He went on, we see in the book of Acts, to preach the gospel, to lead the church, and we know from church history that he did go on to die. To die for what he did. To die for his teaching. To die for the gospel. Why did he do that? Why was he so willing this time? Well, I think we can say it's because he had already learned that Jesus was better. In those in that period of denial and turning away from Him, He had already chased after the easier life. He had already tried to exist apart from His Savior, and He found out what we all find out. That there is nothing in this world that can satisfy your soul. Apart from Christ, there is nothing in this world that can fill that void. And that's kind of the amazing thing about envy. Whoever that person is that you were thinking about earlier, that person that you find yourself comparing to, or that situation that you wish you had, I guarantee you that if that person doesn't know Jesus, then they are just as empty as you are. That there's some other person that they're looking at. That there's some other situation that they're longing for. They are just as discontent. Their souls are just as starving. There's always going to be somebody who's got it easier than you. But the truth of the Gospel is only following Jesus can satisfy your heart. And here's the other thing. He offers His abundance equally to everyone. He doesn't hold anything back. Everyone gets all of Him. That means that if you fix your eyes on Him, then it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. If you're following Jesus, you have something of infinite value. You have God Himself. That's what you get. Paul says in, in Philippians, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as garbage in order that I might gain Christ. That psalmist that we read, the one who said he was like a beast, that he was envying the arrogant, that he was wanting the life that they had, do you know how he came to his senses? If you got a chance later today, go back and read this psalm. But here's what it tells us. When I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Folks, we have unlimited abundance. In Christ, here's how John finishes the book by describing him. He says, there's so many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain all the books. We serve a God who is so great that there is no possible way to contain him, and he is yours. Think about that. A bigger paycheck. A nicer house a more comfortable life, isn't it so absurdly small in comparison to Him? Who wouldn't turn from those weak substitutes if they knew they could have the living God? Who wouldn't give up everything? Even if it was going to cost you your life. We have to accept the cost. But we have to believe the promise. And there's one last thing, one final thing I want to say, and then we'll be done. The third thing that we're going to have to do to find contentment in following Christ is we've got to follow Him. If you have seen the glory of God, if you have seen the deceptiveness of your sin and the the emptiness of it, Christ's call to you again it's the same as his call to Peter you follow me forget about what everyone else is doing forget about what the world is selling you follow me Jesus says follow me to life follow me regardless of the cost and you know I wanna just take this opportunity here to extend a very specific challenge to you. When Jesus calls Peter to follow, what He says is, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. He says, love and serve my church. Now, for some of you, Boston is home. You've always been here. For some of you, Boston is just a stop on a path to somewhere else. But for every person in this room, I think it can be an an honest statement that, that life here is a challenge. Boston is a costly place to be. It's literally costly. right? It's expensive. There's a lot cheaper places to live. Some of them are just 20 minutes south. And it's costly in other ways. It's cold. It can be crowded. It can seem hectic. And when you start to to glance sideways, when you start to compare your life to other people, uh, the grass can seem greener, right? But I want to challenge you to stay here. I want to challenge you to, to invest in this church. I want to challenge you to love this community. I want to challenge you to lead ministries here. I want to challenge you to love people. I want to challenge you to pour out your life for this neighborhood. I want to challenge you to to feed the sheep, to tend the flock, to make a, a lasting impact. I want to challenge you to forget about the easier life you can have somewhere else. And whoever you are, regardless of where you're going or where you end up, I want to challenge you today. Put your eyes on Jesus. Follow Him. Stop looking sideways. Stop looking at what everyone else is doing, but instead, look at the one who Scripture tells us did not turn aside from the right or to the left, but He went to the cross. He fixed His eyes on the cross and gave His life to give you life. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this Word. It lays us bare. Lord, we say we love You. We say we serve You. We say we follow You. But the truth is, our hearts are often wrapped up in other goals. Lord, I pray you forgive us. I pray that You would remind us of the abundance of Your grace and mercy towards us. That You would remind us that it's not about how good we are, It's not about our record, but it's about your record. And Lord, I want to pray for anybody here who may not know you at all. Lord, I pray that they would see the truth. I pray that you would reveal yourself. I pray that you would expose the lies of their sins, that they would feel the deep dissatisfaction in their hearts. And Lord, that you would save them through the blood of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name.